to another episode of the How To CEO Show. In this show, we're going to be looking at how to be a great CEO in a crisis. When you decided to become a CEO, the world changed. You could either build up an amazing billion dollar company or you can crash and burn. We are here to give you the knowledge, advice, the skills, and the expertise to build that amazing company of your dreams. I am delighted to be joined by Harry Kramer, let me get that right, who is um, former CEO of Bax International and a best-selling author. Harry, welcome to the show, and please do introduce yourself. Great. Well, it's great to be with you, Murray. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Um, and it's great to, to be with everybody. As, as Murray said, uh, I uh, was the former chairman and CEO of Baxter International, uh, a global healthcare company. I'm currently a professor at Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management uh, and an executive partner with Madison Dearborn Partners, a, a private equity firm in Chicago. And enjoy uh, uh, going through this with you here, Murray. So for those who, who don't know, because not everyone will know, tell us a little bit more about Baxter International. Sure. So Baxter International, Murray, is, is a multi-billion dollar global healthcare company uh, in, in a variety of fields. One of the th fields is uh, anything to do with uh, drug delivery, intravenous fluids, dialysis for, for patients with, uh, with, with kidney failure. So a, a lot of the products, I always tease that hopefully, Murray, you won't have to use a lot of our products. If you go to a hospital, you will. And basically, the history of the company now for more than 80 years is basically providing critical therapies for people with life-threatening conditions. The overall sales of the company uh, exceed $10 billion, uh, and there's about 50,000 employees operating in more than 100 countries. So that's a, that's a phenomenal, uh, and, and cultural management, obviously, I'm sure everyone listening to the show has heard of too. So CEO of a large company, it is not, I imagine, as in the movies, you're not just sitting on a yacht drinking cocktails. But right. by, the, by the time problems come to you, it's got to be a problem that a lot of people can't answer. And I'm sure you sure. dealt with a lot of testing times, testing issues. How, as a CEO, how do you, like, times now are tough. They're going to be tough decisions. Uh, are you going to, where are you going to go? How are you going to raise capital? How are you going to fire people? How are you going to change the company? A lot of companies right now are in a crisis. As a CEO in a crisis, what should you be doing? Where do you start? Where do you start thinking? And then how do you start doing actions? And how do you move that forward? And also tell us about the, the book that you've written on this too. Sure, sure. So uh, a, a couple observations, Murray. Uh, first of all, um, when I always say very few answers, many, many opinions. I, I always tease people, Murray. I don't do Q&A. I do Q&L. So I, I give you opinions here. So when I think about any crisis, and I would say of, of any proportion, where you get, what I think you do, Murray, as a CEO, before, and I stress, Murray, before the crisis, you start to realize what I think is a fact. It isn't a question, Murray, if there will be a crisis. It's only a question of when. And so if you wait, as you well know, Murray, if you wait until the crisis occurs, what's human nature? Worry, fear, anxiety, pressure, stress, okay? You know, you're on the verge of high blood pressure, you're going crazy, and it's hard to help anybody. And the way I think about this, Murray, in a very simple way, is before you can lead others, you have to be able to lead yourself. So I start, and in my, my first book, From Values to Action, Murray, I talk a lot about the importance of a concept very simple called self-reflection, which basically is, Murray, before the crisis starts, ask yourself the question, what am I going to do when there's a crisis? How do I deal with this? And very interesting, Murray, I get very excited about talking about it. What I think you end up doing by taking a step back, being self-reflective, turn the devices off, get by yourself, take a long walk, and ask yourself, you know, what are my values? What's my purpose? What really matters? When there's a crisis, what am I going to do? And very interesting, Murray, 
many years before I became a CEO, even before I was a senior manager, I came up with a very simple thing. And you can challenge this, Murray, because it was a very simple process for me. I said, when there's a crisis, I'm going to do two things. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do the right thing. The second thing I'm going to do is to do the best I can do. And it becomes almost like a mantra, Murray. It doesn't matter whether there's a fire in a plant, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pandemic like now. I know what I'll do. I'll try to do the right thing in an uncertain world, and I'll do the best I can do. Now, break those apart, Murray. When you say you're going to do the right thing, that raises one enormous question. What's the right thing? So the first step, Murray, the first step is I better surround myself, Murray, with very good people, with good values, who are really good team members, so that when the crisis occurs, I can say, hey, Murray, what do you think? Joe, what do you think? Mary, what do you think? Because what a really good leader does, as you know, Murray, is I may not have all the answers, but I may hear it if I listen. So this whole idea of seek to understand before you're understood. So I'll get a bunch of input. It's a, it's a changing, uncertain world. But based on that, we'll try to do the right thing. And by the way, Murray, if it turns out when we don't know, do we go east, west, north, south? Okay, based on what I've heard, I think we'll go north. Well, if a day later, Murray, you come into my office and say, hey, Harry, there's new information. Maybe we ought to be going south. A really strong leader, uh, Murray, has no need to be light. They're very focused on doing the right thing. And I'll feel very comfortable saying, boy, Murray, you know what? Based on what you said, let's stop going north. We're going to go south. In an uncertain world, we'll try to do the right thing. And number two, Murray, we'll do the best we can do. And I'm going through this quickly with you, but here's sort of the secret sauce, Murray. If you can convince yourself that no matter what happens, I'll do the right thing, I'll do the best I can do, I would argue, Murray, worry, fear, anxiety, pressure, and stress significantly decline. Now, you'll never eliminate it, right, because... We're, we're all human, so welcome to the human race. And some right. bosses you've had, Murray, maybe, would say, hey, you know what, Murray, a little bit of pressure and stress isn't all bad. The reality is we got a lot more than a little bit. So being able to put it in perspective becomes key. So when I was at Baxter, Murray, when we would have a difficult period, there was a dialysis crisis, and, and people that were our customers using our product died, all right? Wow. Terrible. All right, well, what are we going to do? We'll try to do the right thing. We'll do the best we can do. And I am so serious, Murray, that I would put that into all areas of your life. So right now, you and I are having this discussion on a Thursday afternoon. You and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So picture your worst nightmare. So Murray, you mentioned you have a three-year-old daughter, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, okay. What's the worst that could happen? Well, for you, I'm God, I hope not, if something happens to your spouse or to your, your uh, three-year-old daughter tomorrow, what are you going to do? I think what you should do is you try to do the right thing and you do the best you can do because that's all you can do. And in that mindset, Murray, then it's almost like back up the truck, pal. I'm the CEO. Back up the truck. Tell me what the problem is and, and we'll deal with it. We won't get emotional. We won't get involved in this worry, fear, anxiety, pressure, and stress. That, 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 and by the way, Murray, by doing that, that sets me up to be able to lead myself. So now I'm in a position to be able to lead others. So when you're, I mean, when you're trying to internalize it yourself and communicate that to the team, when you think about doing the right thing, is you doing the right thing for customers, for staff, for shareholders, for uh, building value? What is the, the right thing? So fantastic question, Murray. The way I look at that uh, is if, if I'm if I, as the CEO, uh, should I focus on my customers? Uh, I don't use the word employees, right? Customers, my team members, society, uh, shareholders. And I always tease my students, Murray, if any question you ask, I ask, if you answer yes, you always get partial credit because the answer is yes. 
And people sometimes say, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is he focused on customers, team members, society? It really is, yes. And it's thinking about the interrelationship among those. So, Murray, here's the example I'll, I'll give you. I use this with my students at Northwestern University, the Kellogg School, all the time. Here's the way I describe it, Murray. And you should challenge us. Tell me if this thing makes sense to you. Let's say, uh, let's say I I'm still the CEO of Baxter, all right? And pick a number. Let, let's say, uh, you know, the stock is $80 a share. Well, I don't walk away from Murray. One of my responsibilities is to focus on the shareholder and increase that from $80 a share. Why? Who owns that stock? As you well know, it's people that want to retire, send their kids to school, buy a home. So I do have a fiduciary responsibility to help the stock price, right? Now, here's what I don't think people focus on, Murray. Let's think about this now. You and I are in this company. Well, how are we going to generate shareholder value? Well, the first thing we better do, Murray, we better have great people, fantastic yep. people. And I don't know if you've noticed, but younger people today, they're not going to work for an organization that isn't a good organization, right? They'll, they'll leave. Absolutely. So here's the yep. deal. If I say, I'll, I'll assume that you're one of my potential team members. If I say to you, hey, Murray, we're going to give people a day off once every, every couple of months to work at Habitat for Humanity or to make a difference in the community, or I care a lot about you, Murray, if you're not feeling good, don't come into work. If I can demonstrate I'm doing the right thing and being socially responsible, I think I'm going to generate really good people. Okay. Right. Number one. Number two. What's the next thing I need? Well, I better have some customers. Okay. So here's the deal. You are the customer now, and you've got two choices. You can buy the product from Sam or from me. You're the two choices. Well, it turns out Harry is focused on shareholder value. That's all I care. Now Sam wants to care about shareholder value, but he cares about his people. He cares about the community. He's doing things in the community. Here's my guess, Murray. If the price of the product is anywhere close. If the quality of the product is anywhere close, my strong belief is you're going to buy the product from Sam, not from me. All right? Now, let's think of a very simple equation, Murray. If, the famous if, if by doing the right thing and being socially responsible, I have a great team and I got a great relationship with you as the customer, I'll generate shareholder value. So this whole concept of, well, is it this or that? I always tease my students, as I said, in my class, if you answer yes, you always get partial credit because the answer is yes. And in my mind, it's how do you weave all those together? Because I mean, let, let's, let's not take Baxter as an example, but let's take the healthcare companies right now. Uh, lots of those companies are deemed essential and they'll be asking their team members to come in. And those team members are working on equipment, on, on medical things that are related to, to helping save lives. At the same time, potentially by asking those people to come in, they're also asking them to, to take risk, right? Leaving your home and going into a work environment. How do you deal with challenges like that? Yeah, well, a, a big part of leadership, Murray, as you know, particularly from perspective CEO, is communication. And I refer right. to it as open, honest, continuous communication. You'll let people know what's going on. You're open and honest with people. So if you're in an organization right now, to your point, that's providing a necessary service, well, then I better explain to my team members, you know, this is pretty vital. However, however, if you're not feeling well or, you know, you think you may be sick, do not come in. Do not come in. We care a lot about you. Now, if you think you're healthy enough, here's what we're able to pr provide you in terms of safety equipment to be able to come in. And by the way, Murray, you're on one of the manufacturing lines making a product. Well, guess what? Given the current environment now, we're going to change the manufacturing line completely. So rather than everybody being bunched together, we're going to separate everybody by 10, 15 feet so that we can do two things. Are we going to provide the necessary products or are we going to keep you healthy? You know the answer, Murray? It's yes. The answer is always yes. 
So, so taking that into account, being able to relate to people well enough to keep this all in balance, that becomes the critical fact. And it's getting enough input to say, well, how do we keep people safe? How do we make sure that if, um, you know, some people may be potentially sick? Well, let's think about that. If we, if some of those people are sick, can we bring in different people from the outside? And by the way, Murray, you may know this, but for every hundred people right now uh, that are getting uh, the virus, 80 percent of them recover. Now, if 80% of them recover, all right, and they've already had the virus, supposedly, supposedly, they're not going to get it again. Well, then why don't we hire some people in other areas that have already had this where they're not risking their health because they've, their immune system now is capable of handling it because they've already been exposed to it. So in my mind, a little creativity and getting a lot of input from a lot of different people is, is really key. That's what a leader needs to do. And and then uh, and then two other areas I want to I, I want to focus on. One is like it, it, as the world changes, supply chain is going to be a whole lot of mess for a whole lot of companies and big organizations. Um, and then the let, let's touch on that first. And then on the other side, uh, markets are shift going to shift where markets are, when people are buying um, as like. Weird, weirdly, you know, as different, like if New York has a pop, as you say now, and people, people get over it, New York may open up while Mississippi or Louisiana might still be going through the pop and so not open. Demand is going to be really hard to predict. So both sides of the company, supply as well as demand, are going to be, uh, it, it, and it, take that globally as well. You know, right now, India is, it's closed down, but not reporting many cases. India could be a huge number of cases. And um, yeah, how, how how do you deal with that as a, as a global organization? Um, that's going to be really challenging. Well, for, first of all, Barry, you summarize it very well. It is very challenging. And once again, if you're a, a strong leader uh, as a CEO and you've got a really good team, Let's talk about that. Let's get in a room, Murray. Let's close the door. Let's get the whiteboard and let's go through the what ifs. What if New York opens up, but Mississippi is closed down? What are the backup plans? And, and notice the comment that I started off with, Murray, the importance of self-reflection and taking the time to think about these things. Because one of the, one of the tremendous benefits, and I didn't mention this earlier, Murray, but one of the tremendous benefits of self-reflection is it minimizes the surprise. And it's funny, when I talk to a big group of executives, I, I may have 100 CEOs in a room in, in a meeting, and I'll say, you know what, it's interesting, you may not be aware of this, folks, but I can tell after talking to somebody for 15 minutes whether they're very self-reflective. And I'll say, well, how can you do that? Well, it turns out, Murray, and maybe you've observed this, that people that are not self-reflective, if they're not self-reflective, they're constantly surprised. They're constantly surprised, and Murray, you're surprised they're surprised, okay? It's amazing. So, so the reality of life is I'll run into a student. I'll give you any example. I run into a student and they'll say, I'll, I'll be in New York and they'll say, I say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just really surprised. I'm really surprised. What are you surprised by? Well, I have two young boys now, four and five years old, and I have, uh, I ha I have no relationship with my two sons. I I'm just really surprised. Well, Joe, do you spend time with your two sons? No, I don't spend any time with them at all. Well, I'm surprised you're surprised, okay? Because if you're self-reflected, you make choices, but you shouldn't be surprised, right? If somebody were to say that, if you worked for me right now and you came in my office and said, well, geez, Harry, uh, they're going to be opening up New York pretty soon, but uh, I, I, I don't know what to do about Mississippi. I'm just really surprised. Well, I'm going to say, well, why are you surprised, Murray? Didn't you think about that? What are we going to do if we can't open up this? Should we be doing something now before Mississippi closes to move everything to, to you know North Dakota? So, so the, the beauty in my mind 
kind of self-reflection, uh, Marie. You can predict most things. I, again, I, I don't know you very well, but I'm going to guess, it's just a guess, that during your life, at some point in time, you didn't get the job you wanted, or you didn't get the promotion you wanted, or somebody you love and cherish deeply passes away and dies. It's very unfortunate, but it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Right. I mean, and anytime I'm serious, Marie, I also try to have a sense of humor. Uh, here's a, just a, a crazy example of one. Uh, I was starting class a number of months ago, and a young woman came up to me, and I said, oh, how are you doing? I'll just call her Jane. Well, Professor Cram is really surprised. I'm very surprised. I said, what, what are you surprised by? Well, my grandfather died yesterday, and it was a shock. It was a very surprise. I'm just very, very surprised, and I wanted to spend more time with him, and it was a, it was a shock. He was just suddenly dies. Very surprised. And I was trying to show her a little comfort. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Jane. Well, you know, how old was your, your grandfather? And she said, well, he's 102 years old. Now, now, uh, now, 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 Murray, I wanted to be very sensitive. I wanted to be very sensitive, but and I didn't say this, but I did think, Murray, a 102-year-old person died, and you're surprised that they died? You know, I didn't say this. I'm surprised you're surprised, okay? So, so anytime somebody tells, but you should do this, Murray, or any of your listeners, you can do this. The next day, it'll probably happen the next day or two, Murray, but the next day or two, when somebody says to you, oh, Murray, I'm surprised, you should just say to them, Murray, oh, oh, why are you surprised, Murray? They're going to tell you they were surprised, and you're going to say to yourself, I'm surprised you're surprised, because you, there's not that many things we should be surprised by. So how do you teach leaders to be reflective? Or Because everyone is on the spectrum of very self-reflective to, to less reflective. Yeah. If you think you're on the less reflective side, how do you... How do you open yourself up to to reflecting more? And also, people get super busy. So being busy and being stressed leads leads to blind spots where you don't wait. Also, sometimes hard to be reflective on things that you are passionate about. Yeah. So I, I'm smiling. Uh, I'm smiling, Mary, because what you basically did was a great introduction to my whole leadership classes. This is exactly what I teach in the leadership class. And, and if you were one of my students, Murray, what you will do is every week you have to do a one-page self-reflection on your values, your purpose, how you would deal with crisis, what matters in your life. And the whole idea, Murray, it, it goes like this. And I think about all of your listeners right now, particularly the CEOs. What's the one thing you know? They got way more to do than they ever have time to do it. And when you have way more to do than time to do it, the usual reaction, Murray, is, well, I'll just go faster and faster. I'll just go fast. This is where the multitasking starts, right? And the question I ask folks, Murray, the very good question is, have we confused activity and productivity? We're very active, but how productive are we? And what a really strong value-based leader does, Murray, is they take the time. When you ask me how you do this, you take the time, you turn off the devices, short period of time, you get off by yourself, you find somewhere quiet, and you ask those series of questions. What are your values? What's your purpose? What matters? And if you want to be very concrete, Murray, uh, the students will say, all right, well, give me some examples. Well, I'll tell you what I do, Murray. It's just one example. For the last 40 years now, at the end of every day, I'm not a morning guy, all right? I'm kind of a, a late night guy. But at the end of every day, Murray, I go through a personal self-examination at the end of every day. 15 minutes, for me, it's usually midnight, and I will go through a series of questions. And it, for me, it goes like this. What did I say I was going to do today? What did I actually do? What am I proud of? What am I not proud of? How did I lead people? How did I follow people? If I lived today over again, what would I have done differently? And the last one, Murray, is 
if I have tomorrow and being fully well aware that sooner or later I won't, but if I do have tomorrow and I'm a learning person based on what I learned today, how will I operate differently tomorrow? And what that does, it helps me, Murray, separate out activity and productivity. It helps me prioritize. It helps me get from the roots to the trees to the forest. Because anybody who's in a CEO position, as you know, there's a million things going on. And you can start running around like a chicken with your head cut off, or you can say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are the real priorities? And it's often it requires a lot of balance, as you know, Murray. And often when I try to get people to be balanced, they'll say, Harry, I want to be real honest with you. I get this from CEOs a lot. Harry, I'm having trouble balancing things. Well, my observation, Murray, is that most people that are having trouble balancing things have not been self-reflective enough to figure out what they're trying to balance. If you haven't figured out what's important, how can you possibly balance it? And so to your point, you, you literally have to take the time. And students will say to me, well, how often do you do this every night? I, I do it every night. Right? In fact, I give the example, Murray, if you and I are at a party till midnight or one in the morning, uh, most of, both, both of us will probably brush our teeth before we go to bed because you got into that habit when you were two or three years old. And then a student will say, well, do you have to write it down? And I'll say, well, I don't know if you have to write it down. I do. Because if I don't write it down, am I self-reflecting or am I just daydreaming? Particularly if I've had a couple glasses of wine. I, I'm not sure. Okay? It just puts things into perspective. That's some awesome advice. If people want to connect with you, how do they do that? You know, a, a couple things, Murray, and, and I appreciate it. Um, I, I teach at the Kellogg School. So uh, the, the Kellogg School has actually set up a website for me. It's just www.harrykramer.com. And Kramer is K-R-A-E-M-E-R.org. Okay, that's one way. You can look me up on, on the Kellogg website. Um, uh, based on my, uh, my teachings, the first book I wrote, Murray, was called from values to action, the four principles, uh, which uh, is available on Amazon, whatever. That was the whole idea of how do you become a value-based leader. The, the second book was from, again, my students' observations of, well, Harry, that's how you become a value-based leader. How do you build, as you've been talking about, Murray, uh, how do you a value-based organization? Well, the second right. book is called Becoming the Best. How do you build a value-based organization? And then a couple months ago, actually almost a year ago, Murray, the students started to say, okay, well, how, how do you live a value-based life? And the third book, which comes out on, on May the 5th, Murray, literally is called Your 168. And people say, what's the 168? Well, interesting, Murray, it's the number of hours in a week. That's what you got. You know, sometimes people say, well, Harry, I'm working 24-7. And I'll say, have you ever multiplied it out? It's usually 168 if you carry the two appropriately. So this third book is really called Your 168. And it really is, Murray, how do you, as a busy executive or anybody, how do you, how do you build a value-based life? Um, so that's that's the third book. But I respond to all the emails if anybody sends me an email or follows uh, the website of, of harrykramer.org. That's awesome. Thank you. And who do you see doing a great job of this? Sure. Um, I'll give you an example. And some of them are, are guest speakers in, in, my, in my classes, okay? Uh, but I'll give you a couple. One... Uh, I'll give you some of the for-profit and not-for-profit, but yeah. uh, J.P. Gallagher, who is the chairman and CEO, he's the CEO of North Shore University Health System, uh, oh. I think does a does a uh, phenomenal job. Uh, Mary Dillon, uh, who is the CEO of Alta, uh, that you'll see in shopping centers, or ULTA, another another great example. Uh, Kent Theory. T-H-I-R-Y, uh, who was the uh, the chairman of uh, DaVita, which is the largest provider of, of care for people with uh, that are that are kidney patients with, with kidney huh. failure. Uh, Greg Case, uh, who's the CEO of, of Aon, uh, a very large uh, global company based in, uh, based in Chicago. Th these, in my mind, they're all people, Murray, who literally understand the importance of self-reflection and being able to look at things and, and keep things uh, keep things in a perspective. That's fantastic. 
Curry, thank you so much for being on the show. Enjoyed it, Murray. And I, I wish you the best. And I, and I uh, pray that you and your family uh, stay healthy and, and safe during a, just a very difficult period. Likewise with you and everyone listening to the show. I'm Murray Newlands. You've been listening to that How To CEO show. Thank you for subscribing. If you like it, please share. And we'll see you next time.